0: Kubernetes. Just one word is enough to pique anybody's interest today. Kubernetes has already become the gold standard in the world of container orchestration. Have you wondered where Kubernetes came from? Who created it? Who owns it today? And how it came to be the world's favorite container orchestration engine? If you want to know the story of Kubernetes, do listen to this second episode of my podcast series, Being DevOps. I'm your host, Gaurav Shah, the founder at School of DevOps. And this episode has been sponsored by you, folks who have subscribed to my courses on schoolofdevops.com, Udemy, Linux Foundation, edX, and many other platforms. Let's tune in to the Kubernetes story. Even though the very first version of Kubernetes was released in 2015, if you want to understand how Kubernetes came into being, you need to start looking at what happened at Google between 2003 and 2014. And this story begins at at Google because, you know, the story of Kubernetes is closely related to how the evolution of uh, container orchestration at Google. Because in 2003 was when Google released and started using its cluster manager. It was called as a unified container orchestration engine called as a Borg. Now, Borg, the name itself came from the Star Trek character. Um, Pretty geeky, eh? Um, Now, Google had two types of workload at that point of time. One were the bad jobs and second were the long running services. Now, before Borg, those two types of jobs were managed by two different process managers. One was called as a babysitter for the bad jobs. The second being global work queue that was managing the long running services at Google long running services are typically the public facing services like search and uh, you know maybe YouTube and anything that you access from Google versus the bad jobs are typically the Hadoop jobs which do some batch processing maybe crawling uh, at the back end you know those are not high priority jobs but they are process intensive versus (coughs) the long running services are latency intensive so long running services were run on different machines than the batch jobs earlier but with borg you they could bring both the jobs and run it on the same machine and share the same machine basically it was because it was uh, run as the containers because containers allow you to do some resource management as well so the reason for bringing in the borg was twofold one was to you know to bring up the resource utilization and to uh, you know um, make the best out of the available hardware and maximize the utilization of that and second and in an a process was to reduce the cost down or bring the cost down so borg was what uh, came into being in uh, around 2003 and that is where i believe google started migrating their workloads to the containers now in 2003 containers were not completely evolved uh, there were you know concepts such as um, namespace isolations uh, you know mainly the file system isolations with chroot chroot or chroot as it was called Uh, But later on, BSD and then Solaris brought in a lot of the features that you see in the Linux containers today, right? So the similar, those features were inspired by what happened in Solaris and um, BSD, and then Google started contributing since they, you know, uh, wanted to solve all these, is, um, you know, issues with the resource isolation, uh, the, you know, process namespace and so on. Uh, they started contributing back to the Linux kernel. So much of what we call as Linux containers today is the Google's contribution to the world of containers. And that is what led to LXE and later Uh, an offshoot of that was uh, Docker. I'm going to narrate the story of Docker uh, a little later. Uh, Right now, let's just focus on Kubernetes. So 2003 was when Google brought its cluster manager called as Borg. And it started evolving as need basis. So because as more and more projects internal to Google started migrating to Borg, Uh, more features were released. Features such as, uh, you know, ability to dynamically push the configuration files, service discovery, load balancing, predicting resource requirements in advance, auto-scaling, machine lifecycle management, that is the underlying node, uh, quotas, resource quotas, the object quotas, and so on. However, Borg also had certain problems because, you know, it was created with you know, orchestration in mind. And then it evolved in an ad hoc way, uh, you know, over the period of time between 2003 and 2013. uh, We could call that period. Now, um, Borg was made up of all of these heterogeneous systems, which were added later. So different programming languages, different configuration languages, uh, a mix of that was used in Borg. Um, It was also a monolith system. So in between, Google also launched its, you know, its uh, scalable Orchestration piece, uh, the scalable scheduler that it um, you know released was called as Omega. Uh, so Omega was scalable. Omega was composable, and Omega was made up of all of these microservices. So they split the functionality of what Borg did into smaller services, composable services, you know, and uh, they would talk to each other with a centralized uh, configuration management so similar to etcd that is uh, available in Kubernetes today. Now <coughs> let's fast forward to 2013 here because that's when the real story of Kubernetes started and this was these these were the events which formed the background of um, you know uh, how Kubernetes evolved because when Kubernetes started as a project even internal to Google they had the experience of managing container-based workloads at scale and orchestrating those for about years between 2003 and 2013 and that too at a Google scale so pretty awesome now between the summer and fall of 2013 um, you know three Googlers in Seattle started looking at the developments happening in in, in that time Uh, mainly docker in 2013 was started to be very very popular and um, it offered not only the lightweight runtime Um, and isolation basically resource isolation etc it also offered um, tooling to make everything easy really you could you know you could start building your containers uh, building your images and distributing those very quickly you know and uh, you didn't have to uh, you know um, get into the complex installation process or image building process or distribution process everything was pretty much available to you in order to expedite the development with docker basically Um, Docker also offered this hermetic images. What does that mean is if you look at the way Borg images were created Even though Borg images at the file system level uh, when you build package your application and created an image for Borg a lot of things depended on this underlying system library you know and then that was a problem because then you know upgrading the live version of the library in the underlying system uh would break things or you know if there if if you move your container to another system it may not be compatible with it however docker solved that problem by isolating the entire runtime environment including and having a very minimalistic dependencies on the underlying system. Only the kernel system calls were what uh, you would be dependent on the underlying system. Uh, The libraries, the runtime dependencies, everything would be packaged, you know, into the image itself. So it offered that hermetic images, as we call it. Now these three Googlers in Seattle, namely Joe Beda, Brendan Burns and Craig McLuckie. Now, I'm not very good at these name, uh, the names. So if you if I have pronounced it wrong, um, you know my apologies there. Now these three developers at Google, uh, they started looking at what was happening with the Docker, and uh, you know one of them were also working on, you know, uh, some orchestration piece mainly to make the internal Google experience with Borg aligned with the Google Cloud experience. So how do you bring that? orchestration containers and so on uh to the google cloud experience was w- what uh, they were looking into as well right and uh, they saw it as an inevitable you know uh, inevitable thing because docker was getting really popular but there was a limitation with docker and the main limitation with docker was it was only for the development docker only offered it was a very simple software extremely useful very popular uh and you know, you could actually use it for development. But how do you take it beyond development was still a problem, because you could run those containers only on the one only on one host. But you know, if you look at the production environments, and you know, um, even a staging environment, anything beyond development, you definitely need to run your container workloads on a bunch of servers that you would have. So there was def- a definite need, an inevitable thing that is, you know, everybody would need the orchestration engine when they start, you know, thinking about uh, how do you take these containers, the Docker, and uh, how do you s- start running it in a production environment. And that's when these three Googlers started, you know, thinking about how to approach this, because, you know, this is anyways, inevitable, we also want to make it part of the Google Cloud. And it's best to open source it because you know, that is the right way to do that, because everybody would need to use this uh, software as well as, uh, you know, that is probably the best way to um, get the contributions, uh, get a get a con- community contributions as well, incorporated into the software. So they can they managed to convince the Google's management. And uh, they started started working on their first prototype and it was a Google's internal project. At that time, it was called as seven of nine. Now why 7 of 9 because you know it was basically what they were trying to do was bring those really cool features and robust features of Borg and create an open source version of it and then add you know enhancements to it as well. Now since it was a you know sort of a Borg that they wanted to open source um, and um, the design principle was also you know to make it simpler for anyone to run the containers in production. Uh, that's why they called the internal project as seven of nine because seven of nine is a character in the star trek who is a friendlier version of the borg so seven of nine was a friendlier version of the borg and that is why even if you look at the kubernetes logo today the seven spokes in that logo come from that seven of nine project name and um, you know it was influenced by uh, borg and you know it picked up the best practices from Borg as well as Omega Um, and instead of um, you know right Borg being was written in C++ um, instead of that they picked up Golang as the language to create this project and uh, it was supposed to be an open source project, and that's what happened in 2013 now internally at Google in 2014 uh, you know a lot of new developers uh, joined this team uh, some of them were Brian Grant, Tom Hawkins, Willie Aikas, Don Chen, Daniel Smith again if I pronounce their names wrong I my apologies uh, there now uh, they decided to open source it right so they had to announce it and they decided uh, to announce it during the very first Docker conference which was supposed to happen in june 2014 and just before a week a week before they you know they collected all the code that that they had written and they decided to release it with the name being kubernetes kubernetes is captain of a ship so basically it is like you know uh, the captain is the one who's gonna help navigate all the ships and um, so on and so forth that was probably the concept and it's a greek name and uh, the public announcement was made on june 10 2014 by eric brewer in his keynote at the dockercon that here in fact the funny thing is uh, when they released kubernetes just before releasing kubernetes they created this name called as pod pod is a unit of deployment you might be aware of in kubernetes now the name pod was decided just a few days or uh, maybe a day before uh, this public announcement earlier it was called as tasks just like how Google calls their way of you know uh, running the containers together uh, as a task and you know uh, what they call as a deployment or a replication controller um, in Kubernetes is called as Um, a job in kubernetes in borg rather right so borg has certain name uh, naming and that's what they started using but later on they created this new name called a pod to signify uh, the way you run your containers together possibly it was uh, you know based on uh, all the peas in the same pod travel together right so just like how uh, all containers uh, all peas in the pod travel together all containers in a pod are run on one machine pod is a logical unit of uh, uh, deploying the containers together now the goal for this team initially was to develop this minimal viable orchestrator kubernetes today is pretty sophisticated but the initial version was focused on just the minimal viable, you know, features uh, that you could release an orchestration with. And based on their experience, it was those features were the replication, the way you run multiple instances of an application. And when you do that, you need to have a way to send the traffic to these uh, all these ports or, or the replicas. And that's when the second feature came in was service discovery and the load balancing. So replication, load balancing and service discovery which goes together as kubernetes services and self-healing based on the basic health checks and repair system and obviously the scheduling scheduling was the most important one because that's what uh, gives you that advantage of container orchestration because essentially kubernetes is nothing but it takes a bunch of docker nodes that you have and creates one logical unit out of it so that instead of you know managing your containers uh, with hundreds of Docker nodes, uh, for an example, you can just go and talk to one Kubernetes API server or one entity. You can look at it as one entity and behind the scene, you might have as many nodes as you want. Today, it supports 5000 nodes. And uh, Kubernetes was not just uh, sort of an open-source version of Borg, really, because they had, you know, brought in some of the interesting features from Omega as well. Mainly, uh, Borg was a monolith, but, you know, um, Omega was a microservices-based architecture uh, for running the control plane itself, and that's what you see in Kubernetes as well. So they brought in the best of both. Um, the microservice based uh, sort of a centralized configuration uh, architecture with etcd as a uh, configuration um, system or configuration database and uh, they have this API server so all the requests go through the API servers as well so even though there are multiple services there is just one coordinator uh, and uh, that's the one which talks to the etcd and uh, you know stores all the state and manages the state and so on. Um, the, another interesting feature that they, um, added to Kubernetes was the networking part, the software def- defined networking, because with Borg, they didn't have a concept of one IP per pod. They shared the IP address f- with the machine itself and, you know, and then for every pod that they created, every, uh, container that they create launched in Borg, uh, you know, it would create and listen on a different port. So they relied on the port, which was a pretty complex process. So instead in Kubernetes, uh, you see one IP per pod, which makes a lot of things much simpler. And that is probably the reason that you see that Kubernetes does not manages the network. It relies on this SDN, it uses something called as a CNI container network interface uh, for managing the network, networking the pods and connect. you know, taking care of the interconnection between the pod. All of that is done external to Kubernetes in a way. And it just integrates with Kubernetes, but the actual networking and the network management and the routing is done by a cni plugin or a network plugin typically like flannel or calico or weave and so on so that concept was introduced in kubernetes and which was not present in borg so that was an enhancement over the over borg kubernetes was also more like a microservices instead of a monolith architecture um, in borg they had only one controller call as job that was another problem with the borg because you know, uh, there could be different types of workloads, some workloads could be one off jobs, some workloads could be you know, uh, long running services, you might want to install agents, in which case you just want to run one instance of that application on every server, Uh, you may want to run stateful applications, you may want to, you know, um, run cron jobs as well, right. So you know, there could be different types of workload, but Borg did not have a way to differentiate between these workloads. Kubernetes instead broke this component down into multiple controllers. And in Kubernetes for different workloads, you have different controllers, which is definitely a good design. Another enhancement between Borg and Kubernetes is uh, Borg named the pods or the containers um, with an index. So you know, container zero, container one, container two for the same application. Uh, It kept on incrementing that index, Uh, but that also led to some complexities in terms of if you want to add an attribute, which you know, uh, how do you group your containers together? became a problem. How do you manage that? How do you roll out a new versions Became a problem with the indexing. So they introduced this concept of labels and selectors to group the pods together in Kubernetes, right? So those were some of the enhancement they added. So it's not just like Kubernetes is an open source version of Borg. In fact, Kubernetes is I would say a more advanced version of Borg because it brought in those good features plus added its own enhancements. And then Kubernetes has contributors from not just from Google uh, but from a lot of other organizations so Kubernetes I would say is sort of a much advanced version of the Borg. Um, In 2014 after you know the public announcement was made other companies started joining the efforts here because it was now an open source project so Red Hat, Docker, Microsoft and other companies started you know uh, contributing to this project as well. 2015 was when at OSCON, it was a OS conference 2015 was when the first version of Kubernetes was released to the public. The first stable version version 1.0 was released in 2015. At the same time, Google created this, you know, along with Linux Foundation created Cloud Native Compute Foundation, what is known as CNCF Uh, with Kubernetes being the seed project in 2015. If you look at CNCF projects list, there are like hundreds of projects that CNCF manages today. But the origin of CNCF is also closely tied with the origin of Kubernetes because it came along with Kubernetes. And, um, you know, uh, today CNCF is the one who manages uh, Kubernetes as the project. CNCF is the one who owns that project as well as You know, they drive the project and they also drive the certification. They're they're the certification body for the Kubernetes, you know, CKA and CKAD uh, certification. CKA stands for Certified Kubernetes Administrator and CKAD for Certified Kubernetes Developer application developer rather, right? And another significant thing that happened in 2015 was the OpenShift team from Red Hat started contributing to the Kubernetes community and the project. And that helped them a lot, especially because OpenShift had been um you know orchestrating um creating orchestration engines and uh, they had a lot of enterprise clients so that their experience of managing those enterprise clients helped the kubernetes project a lot uh, between 2015 and 17 was you know there were multiple orchestration engines really so after kubernetes was released there was docker swarm as well now docker wanted to also create their own um, spin Uh, just like how the Mac ecosystem is where you have the operating system and the hardware everybody's from the same vendor Um, Docker wanted to give you the same experience now their experience was definitely very seamless and you know It was very easy to use their orchestration engine called a swarm Uh, but it lacked one is I would say from my experience, this is my opinion is they lack the r- robustness and the reliability of what kubernetes offered along with the features because um, as I saw it. Um, you know, Docker swarm was always playing a catch up with the Kubernetes features. Kubernetes was moving really fast, a lot of enhancement, a lot of new features were coming to Kubernetes, um, you know, between 2015 to 17, a huge community gathered around that product as well, since it was uh, from Google. And uh, one of the best parts about um, Kubernetes since beginning is it has been very robust. It's very reliable, very robust, probably because Google has solved a lot of problems that happen at scale already for us and that's what you get from kubernetes the you know the the google's experience of managing the infrastructure at google scale is what you get with kubernetes and that's probably the you know uh, the most um, interesting feature of kubernetes is what i would say uh, so today it is very battle-hardened and, and between 2015 and seventeen, you would see a lot of tools in the ecosystem evolve as well including tools such as HEM and um, you know Knative and uh, or, you know many other tools in the ecosystem, the monitoring tools and you know um, service mesh all of those started evolving uh, and this entire ecosystem. Uh, started taking shape, shape in between those years. There were a lot of interesting case studies which also came uh, came up in that um, period which grabbed a lot of people's attention. One of that being the Pokemon Go, the entire infrastructure being run on Kubernetes as well. Now between 2017 and 19, Kubernetes started um, taking shape as this globe, you know, sort of a gold standard in the container orchestration engine. And um, you can see all the indicators of it being the container orchestration engine because uh, somewhere in 2017, Docker took a decision, I would say a right decision to become more friendly with Kubernetes. And they started incorporating Kubernetes into their enterprise versions as well, you know, which was a pretty good thing to do because they could simplify Kubernetes. And they also could integrate with their, you know, user management and role based access management systems and so on. Uh, some of the enterprise features plus support uh, would make it a really, really killer combination, I would say. Uh, so Docker became friendly. And you saw, you know, between those years around 2017, uh, Google already had the managed service called GKE, But in 2017, AWS also launched their own managed service for Kubernetes that is EKS EC2 container Kubernetes service and uh, along with that around the same time Azure uh, came up with its AKS which is Azure Kubernetes service as well. Now this has a lot of significance because if you look at these are the three main public clouds Google Cloud, AWS and Azure and all of them have a managed version of Kubernetes. They don't have managed swarm, they don't have managed mesos with Marathon. They have the managed Kubernetes, which indicates that Kubernetes is the new standard in the world of you know, orchestration. In fact, AWS and Azure both have their own versions of container orchestrators also. In fact, at one point of time, in uh, there was a funny. Um, you know, I was look, going through a research report, and uh, it was quite funny to know that despite AWS having its own, um, you know, orchestration engine called as ECS, EC2 uh, container service, I would, uh, I, I believe, um, majority of the organizations were running Kubernetes on AWS maximum it was a it was a f- chart with which defined uh, where are people running kubernetes on and uh, the maximum number of installations were on aws this is despite being aws having its own uh, container orchestration and that probably what f- forced aws to come up with the managed service for uh, kubernetes and accept its uh, dominance really right so uh, by 2000 by the end of 2019 We already know that Kubernetes is the new standard in the container orchestration. And we are in 2020 today, early 2020, I would say the first quarter of 2020. Um, And, um, you know, the... Kubernetes has already become sort of, or set to be the new platform after cloud. And that is how I see Kubernetes evolving from here on. Why I say platform is because, you know, just like how cloud came in and everything else started uh, being hosted on cloud. Let's say you could run databases on cloud. You could run uh, Hadoop on cloud. You could run this on cloud. You could run spike blends on cloud and so on. Just like that, what is happening now is, and you see the early efforts there is, you can see that a lot of things will start running natively on Kubernetes from here on, and there have been uh, some interesting projects around that as well. So in future, you're gonna see uh, the Jenkins or the CI pipelines running natively and on Kubernetes. What would that mean is just like any Kubernetes object, like pod and deployment and service. You could create pipeline as a YAML file and just deploy it and it would run your CI platform without even running needing to run anything else, right? So it will just run natively on Kubernetes. Uh, you're gonna, you already see service mesh taking off. Uh, service mesh is another concept which is upcoming this year and that also runs very nicely on top of kubernetes so most of the organizations who use or leverage service mesh are running it on kubernetes so you're going to see a lot of things uh, being ported to kubernetes and running it natively on it there's a serverless infrastructure that you want to run you can run that on kubernetes as well and that's why i say kubernetes is set to be the next big platform and that's my story of kubernetes how it started how it evolved and what it is today and what i believe would happen in future hey did you enjoy this story Did you find it as fascinating as I did while narrating it? Do let me know in the comments below. And if you want to start with your Kubernetes journey, do check out my courses and upcoming books on www.schoolofdevops.com. I'm your host Gaurav Shah signing off and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for tuning in.